Hello, everyone. I'm Ron Stefanski, and I'm coming to you live from uh, Automation Alley's office. And I am ready to kick it off with another episode of Disrupt Ed, where we talk about disruption and we talk about the world of work and learning in a way that's been transformed by globalization, the pandemic, and an onslaught of technology that's changing the way we work and the way we learn. Our guests today are gonna to give you an amazing story. And I think that's what makes Disrupt Ed so exciting is to hear how people who uh, are leading the charge of that disruption, helping others to understand it, helping to take advantage of the transformations that are making things better in some respects, and managing the chaos that often attends massive transformations. And people, and people who get done. I mean, that's we right. So all of our disruptors, talk, you know, but we like talking to people who, who are doing the work, putting the work in. That's you right. Know? So we're going to have a great show today because we've got two really fantastic people who get, it's called the high GSD. Ron created this term, right? It's a really technical term. It's the GSD index. You got a high GSD index, you're on the show. That's right. Tell us more. So just by way of introduction, we are joined by an old pal of mine in workforce and a mighty force for good, and that's Kristen Harrington. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Welcome, Kristen. Kristen Hey. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Kristen is a dynamo. I first met her. Uh, at Conexus, where she was leading youth uh, programming for Conexus, which is a workforce uh, board in Western Michigan. And she is now doing strategic consulting in the world of workforce and learning and doing some really cool things and introducing us to additionally cool people doing cool things. And that leads us to our next guest, Elizabeth Hoffreiter, who joins us uh, and Ron got the name right because we had to kept keep playing with the name. So Ron, you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. I pronounced it right. So Elizabeth, I want to I want to start with you and your background. Um, Elizabeth is in Wheeling, West Virginia, where she was born and raised and lives currently. And she left that area to go to not one but two Ivy League institutions uh, to become formally educated. She's an undergraduate from Princeton University and her graduate degree is from Harvard. And then lo and behold, with armed with that energy and enthusiasm and education, she returned to Wheeling, West Virginia, where she has invoked a whole series of transformative uh, efforts with kids down in Wheeling, West Virginia in the heart of Appalachia. So. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. It's so Thank great to you have so you. Much. And um, what I didn't share with you as we were getting acquainted earlier was uh, my family's from, from the Wheeling area. And um, they were immigrants from Poland who settled there in Appalachia and worked in the coal mines. And um, so I've been down to Wheeling, West Virginia, many times. Uh, oh, my, cool. late grandma, my late grandma used to say, oh, have you been to the Wheeling Mall? So the Wheeling Mall was like this big thing when it was built, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but <laughs> Wheeling is still one of those very small, quaint towns right in the center of Appalachia. And with a lot of charm, but also with a lot of challenges. So A lot of challenges. Um, welcome to the show. Let's kick it off. Caesar, you want to talk today about fearless learning. 
I know. And, and, you know, one of the things I think we can, and Elizabeth can help us with this, Elizabeth has created just this fantastic program, uh, I think. And just to, Elizabeth, you were telling us a story earlier about how you really got into this. And it just shows where people's passion comes from. You know, if you could just share the story before I, and then you could talk about fearless uh, learning, but just share the story and how you got Put, got put on this path in terms of helping my, our children with dyslexia and other learning issues? Sure. Well, I'm fortunate enough that um, I'm a mom, and that's really where the whole story begins. Uh, I'm at Wheeling Country Day School because my older oldest child was in kindergarten, and I wanted to make sure she got the best education possible. When you're a selfish mom, you think you can do it better than anybody else. So that's here right. I am at an independent school, and my older daughter comes to school. Uh, she's had a great experience, and just so you know, she just graduated high school and is off to London for the first semester, UVA oh, <laughs> after that. So we're really, really proud of her. My second child is adopted, and when she was a four-year-old, she couldn't recognize her letters, and she couldn't put sounds and letters together. And the, the poor preschool teacher had to come to the head of school to say that your daughter can't go on to kindergarten because she can't recognize letters. She's, she doesn't have the early fundamental literacy skills in order to continue. And you don't tell a mom no when it comes to the child. And when you put the mountain in front of a woman, when that mountain can be scaled for the sake of her child, she'll just move the mountain. So Absolutely. And I found... Um, I found a woman by the name of Teresa Kalchek through a friend, uh, Keely Bronick, who was working at West Liberty University. And we formed what we then called the Center for Multisensory Learning, which was a tutoring center for children with dyslexia or other uh, language-based learning needs. We did it because of my kid, but we found out we had 14 students here who needed it because in general, 20% of students have dyslexia. And so those numbers ran really clear for us. And as so we- on a national level, 20%? No, on a national still? level, 20% wow. of children have dyslexia. That's amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and the really scary thing um, is with COVID, the learning loss is such that those kids have fallen even farther behind. Mm -hmm. And then we have other kids who are never going to get a dyslexia diagnosis but they still need that structured literacy to catch up. Mm -hmm. And then if I can add to that, in West Virginia, you might remember four or five years ago, we had a pretty horrible opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. You may have seen the pictures of parents mm -hmm. knocked out in the I minivan, did. kids crawling around in the back. That was West Virginia. Those kids are entering kindergarten and they're coming to school with drugs in their system from birth and they're going to have all kinds of learning, some of which will be dyslexia. So West Virginia is going to get hit really hard with this. So it put me on the path and it put me on the path because my own child needed the support. And I didn't I didn't want her to lose out on a single thing that we had done in the creation of academics here at Wheeling Country Day School. So we had to have the support system. And that just keeps growing from there. Now, now, Kristen, just share with us, because I know you guys have partnered. And by the way, Kristen has, you know, introduced us to organizations around the country, especially JAG, and we plan having them on our show eventually as well. Mm -hmm. But Kristen, so you teamed up with Elizabeth around the um, 
programs to help promote this. So what did what you know we're questions about what did you do, Kristen? Yeah, so um Elizabeth is like a soul sister in so many ways, but especially on the GSD index. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we we met each other. Um, and you know, I when we met on the first call through some shared connections, my mentor um and hers, it was just, hey, here's somebody in the education space trying to do some cool things, and so are you. Um, I actually put on lipstick for the call and then realized it was a phone call. And <laughs> so it was a bit of a mess from the start. So this is where you get real on our show. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It all comes out. It all I was looking out. cute, but then nobody saw it. Um, and so our our connections, our shared connections said, hey, you know, I, I called her Liz. Hey, Liz, meet Kristen. And from there we ran and we just started talking. Well, what if you did this? Well, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? And it went on and on. And then after the call, it didn't stop, right? It just was more, what if we tried this? What if we mm -hmm. did this? And we are officially over a year into that first phone call. And, you know, I sit here realizing that every single thing we talked about on that call is happening in some way or another, right? And it, at the time it was just, well, what ifs? I'm this girl in Michigan. Right. This woman right. who's been doing this amazing right. work in West Virginia. How do we make you it? You did all hear that she's a girl and I'm a woman, right? You got <laughs> it. I didn't want to disrespect well, you. <laughs> I see two. I see two rock stars. Is what yeah, I see. All right. Too, right. And you know what? I'm I'm interested in unpacking a little bit for our audience, uh, who's interested in disruption. Is you guys are coming at it from two different, fundamentally different perspectives. Kristen has a heavyweight academic and operational background in the workforce uh, from a powerhouse institution as well, one near and dear to me, the University of Michigan. <laughs> and um, and, you, and Kristen, you've spent the bulk of your career in the workforce space. And Elizabeth, you've been in the K-12 space. So, you know, unpack for our audience how that interaction is connected and why in the world of disruption, that connection needs to be even stronger. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, one of the things I will say very clearly is that Kristen taught me to ask for bigger dollar amounts than I ever thought I could ask for. <laughs> because in education, we think you have to live in scarcity. We don't right. care well. We don't respect them as a profession in the way we respect other professions. And Kristen just came in. I remember the first time she said to somebody, no, we need 200,000. I had to like pinch my fingers <laughs> under the so that I didn't go, oh my God, 200,000. Um, what, I learned that lesson really fast. So that was something <laughs> that that education needed to learn from operations and from the business world. But I had mentioned to you guys on our pre-call, I'm in a family of all doctors. I'm the only black sheep that didn't go into medicine. And I steal a lot from the medical industry. So I'm used to stealing from other industries. Or Okay, let's mm -hmm. say learning from other industries. No, so stealing it, is fine. We call it, we call <laughs> it <laughs> benevolent plagiarism. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, so I think it's easy helpful. to let Kristen teach me. Well, and I appreciate that, Liz. I mean, the number of things I've learned in reverse is, is pretty high, but, um, you know, it's, it's helpful to note. I got my start in early childhood classrooms. Is that it right? Was, yeah. It wasn't my intended career path. I was headed to be Clarice Starling and a forensic psychologist <laughs> and the recession veered me in an interesting direction right into teaching early childhood in, on the South side of Chicago. Um, and then for a bit longer in Gary, Indiana. So 
Um, I accidentally stumbled into the work that Liz has been doing for a, a long time um, at the very start of my career. So in some ways, this feels like coming back mm-hmm. home for me. Um, you know, my my favorite student just got accepted to Princeton. Oh, wow. Um, his alma mater. Wow. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's sticking with me. This feels really full circle. Uh, yeah. My degree, one of my master's degrees is in early childhood education. So, so, um, so you know, one of, the things, one of the things I really wanted to, because I know both of you are hooked up with uh, out of school time, right? That whole, right. That whole infrastructure, because it, it is very expensive to get specialized services for children with dyslexia. And so, Absolutely. Elizabeth, you've been able, teaming with Christian, been able to look at other opportunities so that more people can take advantage of these services. Could you share that with us? And, and sure. so we And we'll also give the phone number or name, you know, so that people can connect with you. So we use the pandemic as an accelerant. Um, we learned over the pandemic that our kids who needed tutoring could be tutored remotely and that out of necessity. In fact, a lot of the theorists around Orton-Gillingham, which is the methodology that we use to help kids with dyslexia said that it couldn't be done remotely. And then the pandemic forced us to realize, okay, maybe best face-to-face, but second best is still really better than nothing. Right. And so we took our program online. And once we were online, we realized it could go anywhere. But the other accelerant that the pandemic was is that teachers are overwhelmed. There's com- compassion fatigue. It's beyond burnout. So you can't turn to a teacher right now and say, hey, get this specialized training and add something else to your repertoire mm-hmm. because your kids need it. They're going to they're gonna leave the profession if they don't already. So we begged the question, how do we get to the kids? Yes, eventually we want to get to all the teachers. We want to get into all the schools, but I'm not waiting for that to happen. How do we get to the kids now? And so you do that through the out-of-school network. And if you look at the Boys and Girls Club network, they already have the kids. They already have an amazing system of uh, a, a caring adult in every child's life. And then they have something called Power Hour. And all we're doing is saying, give us the kids who have the most severe needs during Power Hour, and we'll give them the tutoring that they need. Mm -hmm. So we're providing life-changing literacy work within a life-changing program. Mm -hmm. The thing that's amazing about the model that Kristen and I created is you've got your your mentor from the after-school network in person with you. You've got your tutor who has specialized training. We needed more tutors. So our workforce development was to reach out to the colleges and get seniors in college who want to be teachers as our tutors. Well, those seniors in college have their professor as an in-person, ugh, how do I deal with this child? So we actually were able to wrap a network of support in the middle of serving a child. And if you really hear that, we're also going to change schools and change higher along the way. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's one of the things that we, you and I were, uh, were talking about earlier is how do we begin to insert some of this in teacher education programs? I was talking to a friend just last week, and I have to share this with Ron all the time, that we know work for, work-based learning is kind of the best approach to learning, but we Absolutely. don't teach our teachers how to integrate that as a strategy. So what you're doing is really fantastic. Now, you've also created an organization called EDGE, Right. Right. So tell us a little you can't, bit about you can't it. Call it. You can't call it the Center for Multisensory Learning if no one's coming to the center anymore. There's <laughs> right, no center. Right. Um, so 
we, we at Wheeling Country Day do not believe and, and nod to Todd Rose and his work on individualization. Um, we don't believe that any child is average. And in those ed programs you were talking about, you tell people to teach to yeah. the average. Teach to the middle. The others will be okay. The truth is they're not. If nope. you teach to the middle, you lose the kids who need to be most challenged and you lose the kids that need to be most supported. And every kid needs to be challenged or supported at some point during the day, during the year. And so we teach to the edges. And in doing that, we've really found success. And we have changed lives. Mm -hmm. I don't like to brag about that, but it's true, including my and own. We're going to force you to brag about this. We want to hear you were sharing with us. You <laughs> Absolutely. You share with us earlier some of your success with students. So let's, yeah. let's dig into that. You've had some pretty amazing transformations with kids. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So, you know, the, the title of this is Fearless Learning. And the truth is, I don't want any child to survive school. I'm not in the business of surviving. These kids with dyslexia are going to be great out in the real world, but why should they struggle for 16 years or 12 years to get there? So that's important to me. But these kids are going into classrooms afraid and nobody should be afraid. You have to be in the right headspace to really learn. And if there's fear there, you can't really learn. So it has right. to be fearless. And if you think about the most successful people, at some point they took a big risk, they were fearless. Well, let's right. start back in school with that. So if you have a kid with dyslexia and they get called to the board to write a word on the board, they're gonna do whatever it takes not to ever get to that board because they would rather end up in the principal's office for punching somebody as they walk to the board <laughs> yeah. than go to the board back. Mm -hmm. And I had a child that came to us as a fifth grader with an IEP a mile long, behavioral disorders. They were ready to put him in middle school in a BD room with kids that really shouldn't even in, be in one room together without personal aids. And his mom found us, and this is before the pandemic. We didn't know anything about his IEP. We didn't know anything about his behavior issues, but we took him because we knew he had dyslexia and we knew it could help him. The first time the county came to just check in and see how he was doing, every woman in the room was crying because the people from the county couldn't believe we weren't having any behavior issues. His mother couldn't believe the difference in two months between what it was like in a school without any support and what it was like in our school. This fall, Kristen got a chance to meet him. And when you say to him, who's the hero of your story? He will say, my mom because she never gave up on me. That's great. Say to him, That's what was the transformation in your life? He will say, you people at Country Day made me realize I was I was smart. I could learn. There was, right. there, there was nothing about me to be embarrassed or afraid about. And to be honest with you, because of that kid, we opened a middle school because he just wasn't ready for life going back into middle school. He needed more. And so we kept right. him for a grade year and then we opened a middle school and now we go to eighth grade so that those kids have the support they need in those adolescent years. That's great. Hey, you know, one of the one of the things that I read that uh, about your philosophy is that when students say, well you just don't know it yet. <laughs> I mean yes. I really I really yes. like that, right? Yep. Instead of saying I don't know that stuff. No, you don't know it yet. Would you just yep. share with us a little bit about I just love that concept. So there was a little boy who was actually in my daughter's class and I happened to walk into the room one day and he went, I can't read. 
And all I did was walk by him and I kind of elbowed him and said, yet. And his whole body went, yet. And it was, that was it. Like physically you could see the change. Right. Well, you know, it'd be great if more of our students had that I want to draw a parallel here. I want to draw a parallel between uh, what you're sharing, Elizabeth, and Caesar's own background. Caesar's one of the Mm -hmm. foremost authorities on at-risk and alternative education. And what he's long uh, prescribed is that we need to do more with students in the middle school because that's where Mm -hmm. the learning environment changes and that's where we lose most kids. And we also happen to lose the parents. There's less engagement in middle school Mm -hmm. than there was in elementary and so suddenly, as as kids are going through their biggest growth spurts and and puberty, they're also encountering all these other challenges, and that's when their parental support sometimes mm-hmm. begins to flatline. And I see a parallel with what Caesar's done in urban education with what you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, with kids who have uh, these issues because kids who have issues act out. It's just that yep. simple. They begin recognizing I'm not keeping up, I don't belong here, and that turns to anger and that turns to opting out of the learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and, and which means you're not give, we're not providing them the support they need. And that's what right. your program is doing. I mean, mm-hmm. children don't I mean they don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna go in and act up today. No, that's not the way it works, right? I mean, you're not we're not yeah. providing them. You know, how, how would someone get in touch with your program because I just think it's a fascinating program. But before you give that, you know, it's another area you probably begin to look, you looked at already and that's the 21st century learning programs after school Mm -hmm. learning and weekend programs. I mean, I think this fits really nicely in some of the stuff that you're doing, but how would someone get in touch with you guys Mm -hmm. to really help promote some of the things that you're doing and insert it into some of their programs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we would love for anybody to go to wcdscdu.com and just get into our contact information and send any of us on that page a message. Um, We are all happy. (laughs) One of the things I emphasize with Liz, we're happy to talk to anyone who wants to work um, collaboratively on this effort to bring fearless learning to students across Appalachia. Um, And something I want to comment on, you know, we talk a lot about dyslexia and it's hugely important. 20% of young people or more potentially are impacted, right, by this language-based learning difference. But the reality is every intervention we're offering is just as applicable to students who are experiencing learning loss, right, or interrupted learning as a result of the pandemic, which is basically everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Students are just struggling coming out of the pandemic from isolation and um, you name it. And so these interventions are just rightly timed for the moment. And I think that's why it's resonating so strongly with the out of school time partners, because they're saying, you know, we're encountering things we've never seen before. And we need uh, a workforce right at a time where there's a workforce crisis, mm-hmm. something that's near and dear to my heart to step in and help us address this. Um, and so when, we just you, believe it's rightly timed. When you talk about the equity issues, a lot of these parents, and think about the the coal miners who have just lost their job, they don't have the resources. And I don't right. just mean money. They don't even know. Maybe they don't know their kids struggling at the level that they are. They don't know how to get tutoring. They don't know how to look on a website mm-hmm. and find an international dyslexia tutoring center near you. So what they do know is that there's a place their kid can go after school. 
And that's all we're asking that parent to know. But one of the things we've been able to do, which I love in Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is one of the sites we, we have already been working with. Oh, that's great. Is, yeah, the connection that our lead tutor has been able to make with parents. And the the Boys and Girls Club request for her to inform and educate parents. And to me, that's just as important as all the other work we're doing. I know you gentlemen love a story and you said, give us the good ones. But right. <laughs> I would love to think that in our um, GSD way, we got right into it and said, oh, the out of school time, that's the strategy. And it, it really happened by accident. Uh, Liz yeah. is mentioning the partnership with Benton Harbor. Of course, that's my hometown area um, where I'm from in Michigan. And it was a conversation with a friend right, that I've had for a while where she just casually mentioned, I just lost my reading provider. And it just so happened that certainly I knew Liz and the great work that was being done. And I said, hey, I wonder if there's a fit, if we could make what we're doing here work in a thoughtful way with what you're trying to accomplish. And she was, because she is incredibly innovative, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's try it. And we were excited. It gave us that deployment space that you know, we probably would have come to, but maybe not so quickly. Right. And we were up and running by the fall. Um, and so we have a solid eight months of real delivery um, in in an actual Boys and Girls Club under our belt. And we're slated to um, open seven more locations oh, across that's great. West Virginia. Yeah, just in the next couple of weeks. June well, 27th. Like- <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Well, you know, I think about GSD and how we could apply it here. And I hearken back to the work that Kristen and I did with high school completion in Benton Harbor. And you may recall that one of uh, my colleagues, uh, Kari uh, Erickson-Greenfield, was working with Smart Horizons on a high school completion program. Well, one of the other things she discovered in in uh, evangelizing that program was funding from the Department of Agriculture that, so that she was able to take that program right into Appalachia. So when I think about some of the impact you're having, you know, I leave here with a heavy heart and say, how can we help? We have to help find money to make this happen. That's right. That's what it's going to require. And so I think uh, one of the GSD outcomes of this call is to connect you guys with Kari and Dr. Howard over at Smart Horizons because they're figuring out how to t- how to have that big money conversation you were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, Elizabeth, because you're building a coalition here. And yeah. um, I think this is a great note on which to uh, wrap today, but invite you back to talk more about this because when you're doing something exciting that's impacting lives and you can see this vivid transformation Others are going to follow, and we have to take advantage of that to build a larger coalition and a coalition that's funded by not only energy, but, you know, money as well. And so let's let's get to that. Let me just just add, too, one of the things I think to to really help promote, and you guys may already be doing this, but is an article that represents what you're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. that can be published nationally. No, because I think more and more people need to hear about, from a practical standpoint, some of the things you guys are doing, because it's just phenomenal, you know? And I just think it's an untapped need that should be expanded, you know? So think about just, you know, a brief, just a short brief, couple pages, you know, that you can send out to, if nothing else, to the whole out-of-school network. That's a huge network, by the way. (laughs) 
know, I mean, they are everywhere, you know. So but, but, and Caesar, it's probably it's probably conversation for our next time around. But we are actually working with two higher ed institutions to do third party evaluation on everything oh, that we're doing. So we That's have a evaluation coming out of Michigan, and then we're just gearing up to launch the West Virginia and Ohio. So um, that white paper is coming, and it will be backed by institutions um, that say this works. That well, I think that I think that's a great note on which to wrap. So, for our audience, you've been listening to Elizabeth Huffwriter and Kristen Harrington, two powerhouse disruptors who are literally changing lives in Wheeling, West Virginia, and in partnership with the Out of School Network to make a difference in kids' lives, and particularly those who have dyslexia or have other things that are holding them back from becoming fearless learners. Yeah. So thank you both thank for you. joining and they, us. And there are people with off the charts GSD, right? Yes. Off the charts. I'll take <laughs> that. Chart. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> That's awesome. So once again, to our listening and viewing, viewing audience, this has been another wrapped episode of Disrupt Ed, where you hear from the disruptors and those getting something done to help inform or impact the world of learning and the world of work. Thank you for joining yeah, thanks us. Thanks both of you guys. Love you. Thank, Thank you, you both. It's been a All pleasure. Right. Take care.